a podcast featuring ordinary men of extraordinary faith. This is Mana. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Mana, a podcast featuring ordinary men of extraordinary faith. I'm your host, Jeff Peterson. Now, none of the guys that you are going to meet on this podcast would consider themselves extraordinary, but it's their humble, holy way of living that is exactly what makes them extra to me. And I'm very excited for you to meet them. All right. So we have all uh, heard, uh, whether you go to church every week or you just go every once in a while, I guarantee you, if you are a grown man or woman uh, with any modicum of success in your life, you've all heard and, and felt a little squeamish, little uncomfortable when we hear this Bible passage uh, from 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 the New Testament. It's Matthew 19, verse 21, when Jesus says, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. It's just, it is the most, it's the most <laughs> unsettling, like, oh my gosh. But that is not the part that gets to us. If we really think about it, what really gets to us and what makes us feel so sort of anxious is the next verse, okay, verse 22. That's the one that hits us between the eyes and in the gut because verse 22 says, when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. That's the kicker. That's what gets to us. And that's when we start looking at ourselves and wondering, oh my gosh, what would I do? What would I say? Well, the difference with today's guest is in verse 22. He heard that call and did not go away sad. Not because he didn't have great wealth. He did. Not because he didn't have responsibilities um, of a family and others who depended on him. He did. Uh, Today's guest did what many of us hope we would do, hope that we could do if we were presented with that challenge by Jesus, uh, by willingly taking an off-ramp of what many would, uh, would aspire to as, as, you know, corporate success and all these kinds of things. Um, but he took that off him to pursue true wealth, true meaning, and true merit. Literally, literally going to work for the church. Um, but what's uniquely impressive about our guest's impressive journey, that we'll talk about a little bit tonight, uh, is that he didn't abandon all of those gifts and skills and, and competencies that he acquired in that more, you know, presumably successful path. And and instead, he leveraged all of that to establish a successful uh, adult ministry and community outreach program at one of the largest parishes in Minnesota. And then, then, overachiever, uh, he went out and founded a parish of his own, uh, the city's own, called City Church, uh, which operates uh, with a simple mission to love God and love others, um, not only embracing, but really engineering community and diversity in ways that only a truly strategic, intelligent, gifted, enlightened uh, gentleman like our, like today's guest could. So, and aside from all that hullabaloo that would throw any of us into an inferiority complex, uh, he's also a great uh, husband, father, uh, friend, and I got it. I'm really glad to be reconnecting with uh, right here in front of all of your ears. So please welcome today's man up man, Mr. John Somerville. Hey, John. Yes, Jeff. It's great to great to be with you. Oh, I'm so so glad uh, that you are that you're here and that you're here to share the story. And I'm sure now it's been I mean, it's been so many years since uh, 
you know, kind of your Matthew 19 moment. I'm sure you're just sick of sharing it, but I'm going to ask you to indulge us just because, um, and there's obviously so much more to your story and we'll get, we'll get to all that. But I do think, like I said in the intro, you know, there's, there's so much of, of the reason that Bible passage speaks to so many of us who are, who are adults who have, you know, fashioned some kind of a, of a life, you know, that, that, that we thought, and we were lucky enough to have that, um, that gets to it. And so I'd, I'd love, I'd love you to just give us a little bit of that, you know, give us a little bit of a synopsis of, of, of what kind of led to it. And then we'll back up and talk about childhood and all that kind of stuff in a little bit, but, but specifically, you know, with that, with that, um, decision that you made, like when, cause you'll hear about other people, you know, that have maybe been called to, you know, to, um, to a life of service, like, like actually being like a priest or a pastor or whatever. And, th- and they'll talk about a, dis- a discernment phase that, t- that sometimes takes years, you know, they think, well, oh, you know, I'm not really sure. And then finally they make the move. What was it like for you? But, but maybe just give us a little bit of the synopsis of what, of what kind of shook down. And then, but th- then specifically when you knew that it was really the thing that you were called to do. Well, you know, I think in some ways it started back in college. I, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. I was majoring in business, but I also had this interest in church, church ministry. Um, and really, I think even more broadly than that, in just a spiritual enterprise, um, uh, I really wanted my life to make a difference. Um, and so while I, I really enjoyed the, the whole process of, of, lead, of executive leadership, um, I also wanted to make certain that it had a sense of meaning, which I think can happen very much in business. This is not, you know, I, I didn't lead because I thought business was bad. Um, I think that um, there, there's so much that we need in this world in education and healthcare and business, et cetera, where we need people of faith um, who are concerned about human flourishing and seeing people uh, be all they can be, that, that that's really important. Uh, but for me, it was, it was a discernment process that started in college at that point. And I think rightly so. Um, it felt like the best thing for me to do was to, to pursue a business career, which I did. Um, eventually got an MBA, came to the Twin Cities to work for a company that the two of us worked together at. Um, and uh, But I still had this restlessness. Um, and part of my discernment process came when a, a friend, a mentor of mine, said to me, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? Um, this was five years before I made the move you referred to. And mm. my answer was when I'm 55. And he said, <laughs> he said, well, why 55? Well, I didn't say that I'd have the pile of money in the bank, but the whole idea was, you know, I'd have this, you know, stellar career and then I'd, you know, have enough money in the bank and I'd go do something else. And his simple question was, why not now? Mm. Um, and it took five years for me and for my wife to process that. Um, but in those five years, we began to think about what is it that we wanted our lives to be about? And um, it's really a matter of looking at giftedness um, as well as the things that are deeply attractive. And Jeff, I don't know if you remember this, but when I left um, the company we were working for, you said to me, you gave me a quote from Frederick Beekner that I had never heard before. Um, Beekner defines vocation. Um, which is, by the word, the Latin word vocari to call, is the kind of work that you, the kind of work that God calls you to is the work you need most to do and the work that, that and the world's most needs done. In other words, this, this place where uh, something that God needs done in the world fits with where our giftedness and interests are. Um, 
And I think that sums up what happened for me. Um, and it was, a, it was just a desire to see the gifts that I had used in a different setting, in a different context. And again, I don't think this is a decision that most people, I, every year or so, every, every few months, actually, somebody will say to me, you made this really interesting shift. And I'll say, well, I'm not sure you should do it. We, we need to really think about that. So yeah. it isn't for everyone, but that was, yeah. that was kind of how, that's kind of how it worked out for me. Well, and such a great, and yeah, Beekner is just, he is, he has gotten me through many, uh, low, many career inflection point where, uh, and, uh, and a lot of, a lot of guys that have been on man are, are big fan, uh, Beekner fans as well. But I, I, but I think of, um, and I had forgotten, uh, the part of the story about, about the guy asking you, well, what are you going to do with your life? Uh, what kind of relationship or, or not even that when you, when you made the decision, was he still around? Was he able to to see this move, or, or did you reconnect with him? And and ha, had you kept in touch with him? Because uh, I would imagine he would be one of the most proud guys, you know, to to see that you actually like, you know, you you really listened and and uh, and found it. Yeah, we, we have stayed connected um, ever since. In fact, I talked to him two weeks ago. Um, you know, he's about 15, 18 years old or something like that than I am. Uh, so he had experience, um, he had vision. Um, and I think that part of it was just having someone who knew me well enough to see what could be, um, and ask some questions. Uh, He wasn't saying that was what I should do. He was just saying, you need to think about what you're going to do with the rest of your life. And if that's Mm -hmm. the direction you're going, it'd be better to go there sooner than later. Um, and, and that was part of what motivated me. And by yeah. the way, the other thing to, to just to say, because sometimes people make it sound like this is a really noble sort of self-sacrificial thing and it must have been really hard. It wasn't that hard. And secondly, um, there are uh, there are pieces of the world that I live in now that are identical to the world that, say, a business leader, it, just to just to let you know, people who are pastors or leading churches have the same temptations of pride. Um, of measuring themselves by success, you throw a group of pastors together and within about 15 minutes, they've sorted themselves out and know who the big dog is. And so, and so that it's, there really has to be um, a sense of, you know, what are we, what are we trying to do this for? Um, Because Mm -hmm. it can be as full of self as being in law or medicine or business can be. Yeah. Do you feel like though, aside from the skills, you know, like being able to manage people and, you know, work your uh, way around a budget and things like that. Do you feel like that, um, you know, cause, cause even it sounds like, you know, you'd, you'd had inklings even going into college of maybe doing something with service, but you know, the Holy Spirit has a way of working that, you know, you weren't ready to do that coming out of college. And so you got this experience in business. Do you feel like that experience outside from the skill set, but kind of what you're talking about, the, this perspective, you know, being able to like see these sort of like <laughs> interpersonal and organizational dynamics that you see in boardrooms and you see, you know, did, was, did, was that helpful for you? Like, did that, did that help in the transition because you're able to see that there were actually were some similarities in kind of the more secular sort of space? Well, I think there's two, two ways and one's more important than the other. The one is that what people focus on, it's the least important. And that is, I have a whole set of skills about organizational leadership, um, systems and structures, um, finance. Um, you know, when, when we started this church, um, you know, I was the CFO, the chief operating officer, you know, the, the, the HR guy, you know, I was everything. 
And so the experiences that I had made some of those tasks a lot easier. And we became known pretty quickly as a church that had operational excellence, uh, managed our money well. In fact, we still have those kinds of things because that's just an extension of who I am. I think, Jeff, the more important piece is I had spent about 15 years of my life in what I would call the real world. And, and I want to be careful because the real world is a lot of things. But um, there was a sense in which I can relate to people in the normal everyday experiences that people have because, you know, I, I had to manage a brand when I when, when you and I were working together, the brand was in decline. We had to turn it around. It, that is a kind of pressure that someone who's been a professional clergy for their whole, their whole life may not understand. Um, yes. And, uh, you know, I've got friends that are surgeons and pilots. And, and you know, if you listen carefully enough, you find the stresses and, and things in their life. Um, I think that those 15 or so years that I spent in that real world, if you want to call it, has given me connections with people that have been really important um, because it's helped me. Um, I think it's helped me relate and it's helped me minister out of that, of a place of connection with people and where they are. That's yeah. been no, most I, important. Yeah. I can see that. Cause I, I do think in, in one of, um, one of our uh, former priests uh, who spent his whole life, you know, in, in ministry and, you know, right out of St. John's went to the seminary the whole, and um, he told a great story about being a young priest and a woman coming in, uh, you know, presumably off the street looking for help, you know, homeless or whatever it was. And, and he proceeded um, with the best of intentions proceeded to, you know, dig into scripture and dig into all these kinds of things. And, and this woman, and I'm butchering the story for anybody who's heard it, who remembers it legit, but, but, but the essence was this woman looked at him after he got done with his, you know, very, very well learned sort of almost homily. And she just looked at him and said, are you going to help me or are you going to lecture me? And, <laughs> and he told that story, you know, to, to then parishioners as he, you know, as he got older and, and wiser and, and, and that's, I would imagine you, because of that, you know, quote unquote, real world experience, you are, you know, how people are coming to church, you know, and sometimes they're coming with a spring in their step and they can't wait to be there. But sometimes they're coming because, you know, they don't know if they're going to lose their job the next day or they're, you know, they don't know, you know, or they, or their kid did something the night before that they're figure, still figuring out how to unwind, <laughs> you know, I mean, and so I would imagine that kind of empathy has really been of service for your parishioners. Well, I think that every time I have a conversation, every time I speak, I'm thinking about where are people at, uh, what's gone, what's happened in their lives this week. Um, I really believe that one of the most important things we can do, and I think it's littered through the scriptures, is provide hope. But it has to be a, a realistic hope. It has to be, it has to acknowledge the difficulties of life. Um, it has to it has to be grounded in human experience, and yet also grounded in God's goodness and grace and sovereignty over all of life. Um, and while we live on this side of eternity, um, there's a destiny that God has for us, and we need, to, we need to encourage people with that, but we can't do it in sort of a Pollyanna-ish way that denies the reality that people are facing. Yeah, yeah, so true. Let's, um, let's, if we can, I'd love to go back. I'd love to, I'd lo uh, you know, you, you talk about, you know, you kind of got to this place, but you had, you had, you know, gone to school with kind of a sense of, of service, but let's go even further back. What was it like? What was it like growing up in the Somerville household and, and, and thinking about your parents and then, so we'll kind of go on opposite ends of the spectrum here, way, way back 
being raised and what was that like? And then, and then scooting ahead when you're in your late twenties or early thirties, however old you were, and you made this move, you know, and were they like, you know, and what was their reaction? Were they like, oh, <laughs> that's our boy. We always knew it. Or was it like a, what the heck? <laughs> let's go back. Let's, let's go back yeah. to, to growing up. What, what was it like growing up? In, in so I grew up in a, a family and an extended family that was deeply um, rooted in the church. Um, my parents grew up in a similar church tradition. In fact, they, they knew each other from the time they were three. Uh, my mother's father was, uh, until he died, and he died when she was about four years old, um, was a traveling evangelist. Um, he was Welsh, and he'd come to the United States to sing and preach. He had apparently a great voice, and he would stand on street corners and and play this little, small, um, basically accordion, um, and gather a crowd, and then he Tell them about Jesus. Um, my father's father um, was really the lay preacher in the, the church that they were involved in. And, and so while they didn't go to the same churches, they were in the same circles. And so they'd known each other most of their lives. And so the family that I grew up in was very deeply spiritual. Now, the interesting thing is, in many ways, that didn't connect for me um, until I was in sixth grade, which still sounds young. But I didn't get the idea that I had to make that personal. Um, I, I thought it was a family thing. Like you had blue eyes or brown eyes and, you know, I had brown eyes and that's because I was born into a family where most people had brown eyes. Um, and so I kind of thought that this faith thing was something you just inherited. Um, and it was a series of experiences during the year that I was in sixth grade that made me suddenly realize that this had to be, I had to make this decision myself. I needed to decide is Jesus for me, um, or not. And I know that I don't know when that year exactly it happened, but I remember by May that I had this desire to talk with my friends about what I was experiencing spiritually um, and just share with them what I was learning. Um, mm -hmm. And so I, to me, that's a marker of having something changed in my life. And, but my parents modeled, uh, they read their Bibles um, and not in a sort of a, um, a showy way in a real quiet way. Um, church was a big part of our lives. Um, so it was a family that modeled it and an extended family that modeled it. So that was a part of my, so once I got in that point, I haven't had a lot of really moments when the, you know, the heavens parted or anything like that. Yeah. There's been a slow kind of trajectory of, of faith with, uh, with, and the other thing I've been blessed with is a number of mentors at different points in my life, people that sometimes for a short time, sometimes longer, longer stretches. Um, somebody once said that if you uh, have one mentor, you're a clone. If you have two, you're confused. If you have 10, you become wise. Um, and I think that one of the blessings I've had, and I've watched this with my youngest daughter, who's had a similar experience in her life, um, lots of significant people who are a little further down the path than I am have had a significant influence in my family. My dad would be, you know, probably the prime person in that he's 91 years old. And, and still, um, we still have the kind of conversations that when we talk about, you know, kind of important things. Yeah, that's great. That's great. So, so I would imagine then, I didn't realize you came from a line of, 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 you know, clergy basically lately. Well, clergy, yeah. Clergy, it's, but, it's, uh, <laughs> so that's kind of cool though. So that, so it must've felt like a little bit of a, well, let's actually back up a little bit before that. Did, did when you made the decision then in undergrad to pursue business and then go back and get your MBA, was there ever 
at all a, um, um, were they ever surprised that maybe at that point in time, it didn't look like you were maybe going to be following, you know, a similar path or, or, or was it, um, you know, I loved how you said at the outset that, you know, there's, there's divinity in anything, you know, you, you can be, you can do a lot of good in, in anything that you're called to. Um, but were they at all surprised that you had pursued a more kind of, uh, conspicuously kind of commercial, uh, path at, at the outset or not? Um, you know, it, it, the, the primary occupation in my family was education. I have a couple of mm. uh, uh, uncles that are, were university professors and, you know, school teachers, and that's what my dad was. And uh, so that was a little bit more of a, of a career path that was part of my family. But we had this great grandfather named C.J. Baker, um, famous story in our family about him. Um, he had a tent awning company in Chicago, the Chicago Fire came along, he dragged his sewing machines and all the fabric and dumped it in the Chicago river and then pulled it out after the fire burned over and made a fortune and, uh, um, moved to Kansas city, um, with that tent and awning business. And that was, that was sort of where my family grew up or my family uh, was rooted. Um, and so when, when I went into business, people said, Oh, you're like grandpa CJ. And, um, so, uh, I, I don't think they looked askance at it. Um, I don't think they were particularly surprised because I was a kind of enterprising kid. I, I, I did things. I made things happen. That was, that was kind of the per- person I was. Um, yeah. So I, I, there was never any, you know, what are you doing? Um, yeah, never right. any of that. Yeah. I love what you said about mentors. I've never heard that, but I'm going to rip it off. And, uh, and so you talked about, you talked about your dad. Um, so there's one you talked about, or you alluded to the, 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 the gentleman then, you know, at, at later on in life who was asking you, you know, so what do you want to do with your life? So that's two. So I'm going to make you, I'm going to, I'm going to make you a site a third because we can't leave confused here. And I know you've got even more than 10, but who would be another, who would be another guy mentor along your path can be when you were really young, could be now, um, but who would be another person that you would think of as a, well, as a guy? I'll mention two because they're, they're so different. Um, when I was in high school, well, I'm at high school, college, um, there were two people. One was a guy in our church who uh, led this young adult group, basically college group. Um, and he was just, uh, he was winsome. He was uh, charismatic. Um, he was a great teacher. And you know, a lot of people came to his class. Um, and he just took an interest in me and just, you know, uh, he helped me uh, navigate some of the things that maybe, you know, my dad didn't know anything about business. This guy was in business. So he, mm-hmm. he was a mentor in that way. Um, yeah. And as well as a peer, um, there was a guy named Jim that I worked, I went and worked at a grocery store for six months when I was in high school. I think I was a sophomore in high school. Um, he was a missionary kid of all things, whose dad was back. He was a doctor. He was working at the hospital in town. Jim was there for one year in high school. And he just had this quality of life about him that was so different that mm. I was just, I, mean, I just wanted to be around him. Um, mm. And for that year, um, he was fun. So he wasn't like a, you know, a, kind of a stodgy, stuffy guy. Um, but at the same time, he had this quality of life about him that I just thought was deeply attractive. Um, and I wanted to, you know, emulate some of it. So I, I just think there are all sorts of people that come along. And if you see something, and by the way, mentors don't need to even be alive. You can read books and be mm-hmm. mentored by people. Um, so you know, I just think that we need to look for, for role models that have something to offer us that, that, yeah, I don't know. That's that's been my mm-hmm. experience. Yeah, no, so true. And and I think also, you know, I mean, if we're blessed enough to have mentors who have, you know, 
you know, we meet at a younger age, they stick with us through time and that's great. You know, they can be those people that are, you know, kind of our, our, our eulogy mentors, uh, if you will. Yeah. But I also think there's something around just, just getting, you know, and I'm using greedy and, and hopefully a, 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 an okay way here, but just kind of getting greedy with wherever you can pick up stuff, you know, whoever you can grab something from, whoever you can learn from. And it might be at a job. It might be, it might be just from, you know, and this is kind of cliche, but I mean, somebody that you meet, you know, in the hardware store, you know, and just, just in a moment, I feel, and, and like you said too, you don't even need to know them. You can read about them. I mean, I'm reading this book right now on the saints and I'm telling you, St. Bernard was a guy that he like, I feel like everything I'm reading about him, it's like, he's starting everything with dear Jeff, you know? And and I do think, but you just have to be, you have to be open, you know, and, and, and just take what you can. I think that's, I think that's really good advice just to be always on the lookout, you know? Cool. Well, we are, um, time goes by so darn fast on this very, very, um, unfast uh, podcast, <laughs> but, uh, but we are already at the, um, and you know what? I, I didn't even put two and two together here, but so we're at the fun segment. And, uh, for those that have listened to the show and John, you've listened to a couple episodes and I don't do it as much uh, anymore, but the first couple of seasons, I would just almost, uh, uh, flagellate myself for being somebody in sort of the creative space who can't come up with a better name than the fun segment. And now I'm realizing in this moment who I'm talking to. And so for those that, and we're not going to go into any of the details, but John was a, uh, a, a, a supreme marketer. Okay. A, a general manager. I mean, he did everything in business, but marketing was his bailiwick and marketing is how I looked up to this guy low the many years ago. And so now we're at the now we're at this uh, very, very sort of ironic portion of the show that really needs some marketing help. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, for a guy who, is, who has managed uh, some of the biggest brands in the world, you're now going to subject yourself to one of the uh, least branded uh, segments of any, any piece of entertainment. So anyway, it's a fun segment. And so there's three questions. You've heard them. You've been prepped on them. So we're just going to jump right into them. If Jesus... Uh, knocked on your door tomorrow morning and just wanted to hang out for the day, what would you do with him? Well, it's been interesting to listen to what some of your other guests have said, because it's just, there's so many, there's such a wide range of things you could do. Um, you know, I, I have a, I'm a curious person. Um, and so there would be a short list of theological questions. And I say short because I think there'd be an even longer list of practical questions that I'd want to ask him. And then I think there would be a, a list of deeply personal questions that I'd want to ask um, to help me get some perspective on things that have happened in the past that I'm still sort of puzzled by um, and guidance on how to best use the years of my life that remain. Um, I'd really want to lean into that. But there's one question that I've been thinking about that I want to ask Jesus. I guess it's kind of two questions, but they're nested. Um, uh, when I do interviews with people, we go through all the functional stuff, kind of background uh, experiences, try to find out where the connections are with the job that we're looking for. But I always finish with this question, what should I have asked you that I didn't ask? Mm-hmm. Um, and for Jesus, I'd want to also add, what's important for me to know that I don't know? Uh. Um, and so I, I guess that part of it is I think sometimes we are so bounded by our own experience. I think Jesus would lift back the 
the, the curtain and and look at something totally different than what we would that I would and I would really love to ask him those questions. What in, what I should I have asked you? You know what what things should I know that I don't? That's what I want to do with Jesus. Uh, that's great. No, it's so true. And you know, you talk about surrender and, and and you know His will, not ours. And and that's a perfect example of it. You know, it's like. You know, that's it's just, I love that. It's so beautiful. All right. Uh, fun subject question number two. Uh, if you could go to church, could be your church, it could be a different church. Um, but if you could go to church with any other guy, living or dead, uh, known or unknown, back to our uh, conversation earlier about mentors, you don't even need to know this guy, but who would you uh, choose to go to church with? Well, I really couldn't narrow it to one, and I, some of your other guests have cheated, so I'll cheat just a little bit. <laughs> um, I have two, and they're both biblical characters, um, and they are two characters that are really important to me. Um, and they're two that we know a fair amount about their personality. Uh, most biblical characters, we, you know, when Mark wrote Mark, there's nothing about Mark in it. Um, but the two are Paul and Jeremiah. Um, and the reason why I would say Paul is he didn't have an easy life, and yet he had this vision for life that has inspired millions. Um, he was candid about his life, but he had this sort of unshakable confidence in God um, that God would bring him through hardship, that he would bring us through hardship and make us into better people. And I would really love to hear what he has to say. Um, and then Jeremiah is my favorite of the prophets. Um, another person we know a lot about, he had a a hard job. He was told to speak up for God, but God told him they're not going to listen to you. And then you're going to do this for 40 years and then you're going to die in exile. Um, and so I think Jeremiah died not knowing, you know, he was the clearest eyed person of his generation, but he didn't know what, how this was all going to work out. And what I would really want to hear from them when we go to church is I would love to hear their perspective on both our secular and our church culture. I'd love to hear them talk about what, like Jeremiah, I'd love to hear him address the things that are going on positively and negative in our culture. And I'd love for Paul to address the question of what's, what can we do to fix the church? Um, and, and I'm not, I'm not a pessimist. I, I, you know, generally an optimist, but there's some problems and I think we don't see things clearly. And I'd love to have the perspective of those two guys. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I think of, yeah, especially, I mean, in a very dramatic sense, when you think of Paul's conversion and, and from going from a, just a very, very of the world uh, and of a nasty world person to where he ended up. And I do think he'd have he'd have a lot of interesting perspectives on today, just on just, <clears throat> you know, how do you turn it around? And I love that you're citing Jeremiah I, when and when we talk about uh, just in even the earlier question around, you know, what, what, God, what do you want? What, what should I be asking? I'm reminded the one of the only Bible verses that I that I've committed to memory. It was a f- good friend of mine who had it in his house um, above their door uh, as they walked out of the house, and it was Jeremiah thirty three three. So it's really easy to remember, just a bunch of threes, um, and it was uh, something along the lines of "Call to me, and I will show you great things beyond your knowledge," which basically means just ask and just get ready to be blown away because there's, you can't even imagine <laughs> what, what I'm going to say. And so I, I love that. And that is, I think part of that clear eyedness is just also that trust that again, it's God's, it's God's will, not ours. And, um, just gotta be open. All right. Last question. Um, and this is one you can draw on personal experience. Cause I'm sure over the last many years you've, you've, 
you've uh, happened upon this occasion. Um, but if you could give a piece of advice, one piece of advice to a young man, and you can define young however you want, um, but just somebody younger who is kind of getting his legs underneath him as it relates to faith, what one piece of advice would you give him about just living a life of just confident, comfortable faith? So um, uh, there's a, you may have heard the word or the term orthodoxy, which is the idea of correct doctrine. You know, ortho is the Greek word for straight. Um, sometimes people will add the idea of orthopraxy. Praxi, praxi is the word for practice or behavior. So orthodoxy is right doctrine, orthopathy or uh, uh, praxis is right behavior. But there's a third, and this is a neologism. I've made made this up. It's actually, I got it from somebody else. But orthopathy, and pathos is the affections or emotions. That's, that's the Greek word for affections or emotions. And what I think is that it's very easy for us to get hung up on theological facts. It's even easy for us to get hung up on the idea of living a good life. But I think the key to a really, truly, um, deep spiritual life is our hearts. Um, we are what we love, and our hearts are at the center of who we are. And so, if we want something, love something, desire something, we will pursue it. And so, the spiritual life to me is about learning to pay attention to our hearts, being careful about what we love, um, because if we really truly build a relationship with God that is grounded in love, we will want to do what he wants, love what he loves, care about what he cares about. Um, and then it's really hard to say no to bad stuff if our hearts aren't in it. Um, so saying no to things um, is really hard because sometimes our desires will be stronger and it'll be we won't, we won't be able to say no. And I just don't think we can white knuckle our way to the life that God wants us to have we need to see our hearts be transformed so that we do what pleases God because it comes from the inner inner part of our hearts. Mm-hmm. Oh, it cannot be better said than that. That is just wonderful. Um, so I'm going to take you up a little bit. I'm going to turn the tables a little bit on you, John Somerville. So we're at the end of our at the end of our time. But is there anything that that I didn't ask that I should have asked that that we should know about John Somerville? I don't think so, Jeff. Um, <laughs> um, oh, hey, it's been a great, it's just wonderful again. Thank you so much for being here and for sharing uh, everything that you've done and or that are thinking and everything you're doing uh, at, at, at your church and whatever you do next. You know, I think what we've all heard is that no matter where this journey is going to take you, you're going to be, you're going to be um, eyes wide open, arms wide open, heart wide open uh, for God. And, um, you know, Jeff, our, I, I do want to say something just about what you do. Um, having listened to a dozen of these or so, what I've appreciated is that they've all been different. Um, and, and I I think it's really important for us not to have us back to the old idea of mentors. I think it's also important for us to hear how different people relate to God, because something that someone has says will relate to our own journey, our own path. Um, and there are some non-negotiables in all of this. I mean, Putting, centering our lives on Jesus is really the place to start, but how you do that, and it's 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 reflected almost in, in a trite thing. It's like snowflakes; they're all different. Um, but I really appreciate what you're doing. I'm benefiting from listening to these, and I hope your listeners are as well. Well, thank you, thank you for that, and thank you, thanks again, John Somerville. Great to be with you. 
Thank you for listening to MANA. If you have any questions or recommendations for future guests, send them to manapodcast at gmail.com.